Hello, this is Father John Arnold, and this is another episode of Oral Valley Catholic. And this weekend, we celebrate the Feast of the Assumption of Mary. The Assumption of Mary is one of the dogmas of the church, and it is the dogma that at her death, Mary was assumed body and soul into heaven. Uh, there are two major Marian dogmas, the Immaculate Conception, which we celebrate on December 8th, that says Mary was conceived without sin by virtue of the sacrifice of her son on the cross. It's why in the scriptures, Jesus harrows hell or Hades, that he goes back into all those people that were part of the city of God before Jesus's incarnation. And he goes and he saves them. And that's why in Matthew's gospel, uh, Jesus's death, the tombs of many saints open and they appear to people in Jerusalem. It is uh, that earliest understanding that Jesus's salvific work goes back to the beginning and out into the end. Like the cross is a vertical from heaven to earth and a horizontal through all of time. And so Mary, these two dogmas, December 8th, the Immaculate Conception, Mary's conceived without sin, our feast today, August 15th, the Assumption of Mary, that Mary is body and soul into heaven, and that's what the readings are about. The Assumption is found in Scripture, but like the Trinity, Scripture does not use the word Assumption. It doesn't use the word Trinity either. But these hermeneutics, these rules for reading Scripture that the community of faith has come up with allows us to talk about these scriptural and spiritual realities that are spread across Genesis to the book of Revelation. And it becomes a way that Catholics read. And so when we talk about Mary's assumption, especially as it's present in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Revelation, John and Luke, we're talking about typology. That is how we understand the story of the New Testament, the four Gospels, uh, with the backdrop, the hermeneutic, the types that are present in the Old Testament. Because clearly, the four evangelists were writing their story of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph with an eye focused on the Old Testament and the fulfillment of prophecy. It's what Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. The prophecies are fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and be baptized and believe the good news, is what he says. Well, this is about the fulfillment of prophecy typology, but it's also another conception that the early church developed, and that is recapitulation. Recapitulation says God redoes something. So in Paul's letter to Corinthians, it's also found in uh, his letter to the Romans, which is not one of the readings today, but we'll talk about it briefly, is that Jesus is the new Adam. He is the recreation of the human person. So when we are baptized, we are baptized into Christ and we become another Christ. Just like Adam gave, uh, hit death, gave death to all the, those who uh, 
are children of Adam. So those who become uh, brothers and sisters of Christ, sons of God the Father in baptism, uh, are once again conceived, immaculately cleansed from sin, like our Blessed Lady on, in the feast we celebrate on Immaculate Conception. And someday we will be body and soul into heaven, as Mary is, and, and dogmatically, in the Feast of the Assumption. So when we say we go to Jesus through Mary, these two poles, the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption, are something about how our lives are remade, recapitulated in Christ. Because Jesus comes, sent by the Father, to reform uh, creation. How it had gone wrong uh, following Adam in the book of Genesis, now Jesus makes it right. Salvation is a word based on the Latin word for salus, which is health. Jesus comes to heal humanity. And so as we go through these, uh, this scriptural story today, and we talk about the Feast of the Assumption and these ideas of typology and recapitulation, but what this means in reality for your life, here's the question you should be asking. So when you're raised from the dead, how will your story be retold? How will you understand yourself differently in the resurrection than you see yourself today? Because there is a new world coming and your story will be lifted up, assumed into heaven. More in a moment. And so I've decided to entitle this episode Raiders of the Not-So-Lost Ark. If you remember that Indiana Jones movie, Steven Spielberg's Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, the hero, um, has a lead on what happened to the Ark. And we're going to talk about what Scripture says happened to the Ark of the Covenant. But why it's important for Steven Spielberg is because it made millions of dollars. And it was a great story, though not much to do with, with the reality of Scripture. Um, but what it has to do with the Feast of the Assumption is the reading, the first reading, because in the Assumption, we, we didn't have anything from the Old Testament. We had the book of Revelation, which is based on your understanding of the story of the Old Testament. But this is the part that was in the first reading that I want to draw your attention to. And it's from Revelations chapter 11, verse 19. That's the last verse of chapter 11. You turn the page and you get to chapter 12, verse 1. And here's what it says. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant could be seen in the temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, an earthquake and a violent hailstorm. A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a crown of twelve stars. So this is, a, this is a prophetic vision. This is where the assumption is found in the New Testament. You know, one of the things I'd like to point out is that when the Greek New Testament was written, 
They didn't have commas, periods, or spaces between words. It was just a run-on of Greek letters. And so as language develops, they start to put space between the various words. So you know where one word ends and another one begins. Then after the Reformation, that's the first time that these codexes, which is the earliest form of the book, before that, the scriptures were in scrolls, but codexes are when you turn the page. In the wake of the Reformation, that's when chapters and verses are imposed on the scriptures. So instead of having one continuous story, it's now broken up into little, into these little discrete pieces. So when it comes to breaking up the book of Revelation, some bright person decided that they would put a chapter break between the vision of the Ark of the Covenant and the vision of the woman crowned with the 12 stars. There shouldn't be a chapter break there because it's part of the same story. The Ark of the Covenant is this woman with the 12 stars around her head. And she's the one who in chapter 12 gives birth. A dragon tries to consume her child, but he is taken away and, and protected from the death that the dragon represents, and the woman is sent out in the desert and protected. And then the dragon turns and makes war on all the other children of the, of the, of the, women, of the woman. And so the woman's Mary, the 12 tribes are the, are the 12 tribes of Israel, also the 12 apostles, because Mary is both the mother of God and mother of the church. Where does that come from? Very straightforward again in scripture. Revelation is Johannine literature. And so if you go back to the Gospel of John, the wedding of Cana, which is the second chapter of the Gospel of John, do you remember that, Jesus, that Mary comes to Jesus and said they have no wine? And Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with you and me? Mary has a name. The reason that the word woman is used is it goes back to first Genesis because that's what Eve was called, the woman. And so in that short story about the wedding at Cana, it is about Mary as the new Eve, Jesus as the new Adam. And it's not the last time that appears in John's gospel. And so when you go to the crucifixion, you remember that Jesus from the cross turns to the beloved disciple, that's you and me, and he says, Woman, uh, son, behold your mother, pointing to his mom. And then instead of saying mom or Mary, he says, woman again, woman, behold your son, Mary, mother of the church. And so that is present, that understanding that when you become baptized into Jesus, Mary, the queen mother, becomes your mother also. Uh, it's Jesus' gift of the cross. And it's the church. It's Mary as a person. It's you as a person. It's John the, uh, the evangelist. But all of this gathered up into this story of scripture. And so work with me. The book of Revelation, chapters 11 and 12. Mary is the new Ark of the Covenant. What's the significance of that for our salvation? Let's go back to the Old Testament because about typology and recapitulation, images in the Old Testament and the Old Testament story 
being made present again, but at a higher pitch, where Moses led the people to a promised land that is uh, modern Israel. Jesus leads us to a promised land, which is the kingdom of God. But it's Jesus is the new Moses, just like there is an old Moses. So many layers to this story. But let's go to Israel's battle plan. So what was the ark in the Old Testament? In uh, the book of Exodus, the ark is something that they that is built by the people. And you've probably heard this story. It's in Exodus 24. The uh, ark is the dwelling place of God on earth. It's his footstool. It's a container. And within the container, there's the law. That is the new covenant, the, the Torah for the people, how they are supposed to live. As in Mary, in her womb is the new covenant, Jesus, because our model for Christian behavior is the Lord. The, the old ark in the book of Exodus is covered with gold. Why? Because gold is pure. Gold is uncorruptible. It doesn't rust. And so we have the Virgin Mary conceived without sin, Gold is merely a material symbol of the spiritual purity of Mary. The ark in the Old Testament is always covered by a blue veil. And for many of us, we know that Mary's, one of the symbols associated with images of Mary is always um, this blue cloak that she wears because it goes back to the house of David where um, uh, these prayer cloaks that the Jewish men wore had this particular uh, hue of, um, of uh, blue on it. And then with the Ark of the Covenant, whenever you remember that Moses would go in to the tent of the dwelling and the Ark of the Covenant would be in there and some other things too, which I'm, I'm not gonna get into right now, that a cloud would descend on it uh, while Moses was there. And if you remember when Mary is uh, conceives Jesus, the angel says to her that uh, the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow her because that cloud is the Holy Spirit and it overshadows the Ark of the Covenant. It overshadows Mary. And so in the book of um, uh, Samuel, there's also these references to the Ark of the Covenant and it goes back to the Gospel of Luke. But before I talk to Luke, I wanna close this Old Testament story about the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark is the great battle leader. The uh, Israelites never lose a battle when they follow the Ark. The Ark is finally brought to, um, uh, to Israel. It's captured by, uh, by the Philistines. King David gets it back. It's, he builds a temple. The Ark goes into the temple. Here's the final fate of the Ark, according to the second book of Maccabees, which I don't think is part of the Protestant Bible, but it is, was part of the Septuagint, which was the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures in Jesus' time, and it's what the early church relied on. So this is the story in 2 Maccabees chapter 2, verses 4 to 8, and this is referring to the prophet Jeremiah in the final days of Jerusalem. So in a cave in Mount Nebo, the place is to remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows them his mercy. Then the Lord will disclose these things, that is the location of the ark, and the glory of the Lord in the cloud will be seen, just as they appeared in the time of Moses and of Solomon, and when he prayed that that place might be greatly sanctified. 
Because in the in Second Maccabees, Jeremiah takes the ark and um, the tent of the dwelling, and he he hides them in a cave on Mount Nebo. Why Mount Nebo? Because that's where Moses died and was buried. So Moses and the ark, according to Second Maccabees, are both in this mountain on the other side of the Jordan, because they're going to re-enter. They're going to come back into the promised land. But it's after the Babylonian captivity ends. And so if you want to read more about the fate of the ark, read 2nd Second Maccabees chapter 2. Um, and it was a secret place that nobody knew where Jeremiah uh, hid it. Well, the ark is going to make a reappearance. And the ark is going to make its reappearance in the Gospel of Luke. And so I've alluded to this but, but um, what the writer in Luke does is the writer in Luke structures the story of Mary conceiving Jesus. This is when the angel appears to Mary. She, the, the angel appears to Mary, and Mary then goes to uh, visit Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. And then Mary has her Magnificat, the, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is retelling of the story of the ark and King David. And so let's talk about those two side by side. And it's basically Luke chapter 1 and 2 Samuel chapter 6. You can read these scriptures yourself side by side and look at the parallels because this is all the imagery of the Ark of the Covenant. And so uh, the angel comes to Mary and says that you're going to have uh, the Son of God. And so here's what Scripture says. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Well, Exodus chapter 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled down upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Um, and whenever the cloud rose from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on their journey. And so at the beginning of the story of Mary is this reference to being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present in Exodus, and the Holy Spirit is present in Luke. And so then you remember Mary goes to see Elizabeth. And what happens when Mary goes to see Elizabeth? Well, in Elizabeth's womb, the, the, the John the Baptist um, leaps in the womb. Uh, well, David leaps before the ark when he brings the lost ark back to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel. And then Mary, Elizabeth cries out in a loud voice. Well, David cries out in a loud voice in 2 Samuel. And how does this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Um, well, David says the same thing. How is it that the Ark of the Covenant comes to me? Read the two scriptures side by side. Luke is comparing Mary to the Ark of the Covenant. And so this is the clincher. In the story of David bringing the ark back from the Philistines, 
Um, on the way up to Jerusalem, the ark starts to fall off the cart that they're hauling it on, and some poor guy reaches up to stop it. And he stops the ark, but he's struck dead. Why? Because no one told him to touch the ark. This is the Old Testament. They, the idea of God is dangerous. And so what David did is he left the ark in the hill country of Judea for three months. And if you go and you look about how the, the gospel for this weekend in Luke, in the New Testament, it said that Mary stayed for three months uh, with Elizabeth. Um, not coincidence. Luke based his telling of Mary's conception of Jesus on the Ark of the Covenant in both Exodus and 2 Samuel. To what purpose? Because Mary is the new Ark of the Covenant. That's in Luke. It's also in the book of Revelation, chapters 11 and 12. So when people tell you that Mary as the ark and the assumption is not in scripture. Yes, it's in scripture, but it talks about Mary as the ark of the covenant because the new law is conceived in her womb. You know, I wanna bring this to an end with just a couple comments on St. Paul, and then to take a step back and think about the stories that were being told and why they're important for us. And so here we are, bring it, tighten it all together. The story of Mary as the new Ark of the Covenant is about recapitulation and typology. Using typology is using Old Testament images and showing how God has fulfilled these prophetic images at a higher pitch in the New Testament. Recapitulation is the story of the people of Israel is now being retold in the story of the church. And so in the Old Testament, you go from creation to Moses in the ark um, to, well, the promised land, at least the people enter the promised land, though Moses doesn't. He dies because uh, he was not completely obedient in the desert. You cannot enter the promised land uh, unless you're conformed to the image of Christ. And so in the new creation, in the new, in the new creation, it's about how you enter the promised land. I said conform to the image of Christ unless you're free from sin. And so in the new creation, recreation occurs. Mary is conceived without sin in the womb of her mother, Anne. Well, you're conceived, reconceived without sin in baptism. And in, in the devotion of the church, John's gospel says that a son or daughter, whoever you are, behold your mother, Mary, and then uh, uh, to Mary, uh, Jesus says, woman, behold your son, because you will follow Mary like the Israelites followed the Ark of the Covenant. Mary becomes the mother of the church. But St. Paul emphasizes a different aspect of this tradition. And so the second reading this Sunday was from 1 Corinthians, and it said this, brothers and sisters, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
For since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead came also through man. For just as Adam, as in Adam all die, so too in Christ shall all be brought to life, but each one in proper order. So we would say Mary first, the rest of us to follow the Ark of the Covenant. But what Paul is emphasizing is another aspect of typology, clearly in the earliest generations of the New Testament. Remember, Paul and Luke are together. Luke follows Paul into Europe, according to the Acts of the Apostles. And so when Luke is talking about Acts of the Apostles, well, he's also learning from Paul, who is talking about Jesus as the new Adam. And again, it's this typology, Adam died, so everyone following Adam died. Christ is raised from the dead, so those born from the side of Christ are raised from the dead. It's retelling the Old Testament story in, in these images. And it's not just in 1 Corinthians. Paul also talks about it in Romans. And so there's really a couple aspects of typology and recapitulation going on in these rich readings uh, and how it is that early Christians were catechized by the significance of who Jesus is for the salvation of the world and how Mary is part of this whole economy of salvation. You know, one of the things that blew up the church at the time of the Reformation was the role of Mary and the claim that there were excesses in Mary and uh, in Marian devotion. I think probably there's always excesses in the church. And so to just own that and say it's so fine. But what happened in the Protestant world is it just excluded Mary and focused simply on Jesus. And as a result, they, the Protestants don't deal well with the Old Testament in the way that the, that the, uh, the early church did with this typology of the Ark of the Covenant uh, in Exodus and 2 Samuel, also in Luke and in the book of Revelation. Uh, and so when you lose those kinds of things, you lose the image of Christ because there is, and the Catechism says it, this pneumatological, that is, inspired by the Holy Spirit, structure of faith. In one sense, we talk about faith as a hierarchy of truths. And so the most fundamental truth is there's a God. Jesus is the Son of God. And then in the hierarchy of troops, if you think of them, uh, it's this logical um, growth of what faith would mean. But it's very linear is the way that, that that thinking goes. And linear thinking has its purposes. But Pope Benedict XVI, instead of talking about the hierarchy of faith, started to talk about the structure of faith. And the structure of faith is looking at the household of God as an architectural image and how every part of it plays a role to keep the structure intact, to have integrity. And so if you remove an essential part of the structure, you have started to weaken um, the structure as a whole. And so an essential part of the structure is the role of Mary in the economy of salvation. And so Jesus is alone our Savior, but as our Savior, he is never alone. 
That is an important thing because it's an understanding of the love of God. You know, the love of God is not separated from the presence of God in your life through other people. It's the great influences on your life in, in faith. Think of someone who helped you to be a believer, someone that uh, had this incredible uh, uh, presence in your life, had this uh, incredible effect on you. Uh, that is the love of God made present in another person, the love of God made present in the sacraments that you celebrate. Um, it's having admirable parents that make it much easier for you to believe that God loves you. You know, the assumption is fundamentally about the communion of the saints, which runs all through the book of Revelation. And Mary, of course, the mother of the church, in, a, in the structure of faith, is the linchpin of the communion of faith. Uh, she's like this battle queen that leads us, the Ark of the Covenant. She is like the new Eve, where in the first book of Genesis, Eve is taken from the side of Christ. God, in his uh, turning things upside down, as in the Magnificat in today's readings, takes the Savior of the world from the womb of the new Eve. And so, wow, scriptures the poetry of it, the depth of it, expressing realities that you couldn't just express um, discursively. So if you go to Mass this weekend, listen to the preface that the priest will say uh, before he gets to the Eucharistic prayer. And it really is the theology of the assumption of the communion of the saints. To remember the priest says, the Lord be with you, and you say, and with your spirit, Lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. Lift up your hearts, righteousness and justice. The Spirit with us. And then the priest says, You are glorified in your saints, for their glory is the crowning of your gifts. In their lives on earth, you give us an example. In our communion with them, you give us their friendship. In their prayer for the church, you give us strength and protection. This great company of witnesses spurs us on to victory to share their prize of everlasting glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so with angels and archangels and the whole company of saints, we sing our unending hymn of praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord. How do you like that part about this great company of witnesses spurs us on to victory. This great battle army led by a warrior queen, the Ark of the Covenant. This is the story of the Assumption. It tells us how it is that we're supposed to imagine our Christian lives and how that takes us into this deeper reality beyond just the material. But it tells us something about what it means to be, to be born, to live, and to die as a human being. But in script, Christian terms, to be born in baptism, to live a Christian life, and to die in, this, in the grace of God. And then we follow the battle queen into heaven. Book of Revelation, Gospel of Luke, reborn according to 1 Corinthians and Romans. There you have it, my friends. Have a wonderful feast of the Assumption. Uh, to Jesus through Mary. Hey, if you like this podcast, repost it, share it. 
I've had, in over the last year and a half, almost 10,000 listens because people do that. You can help spread the word. You can help evangelize. Um, just share this, share this podcast and help people understand how the church thinks about the mother of God. Until next time, this has been Oro Valley Catholic. I'm Father John Arnold. God bless you.